If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hello, folks. Another week, another episode of Soundtracking. Thank you so much to everybody who has been listening, who subscribed. It's really lovely to have your support and your ears as well to share some brilliant stories and music with you. And um, just to point out as well, I always tell you this at the end of the podcast, but I thought I may as well tell you at the start this week. Obviously, we're slightly restricted in terms of how much music we can play on the podcast. But what we do do is for every show, once you've listened to the podcast, if you do want to go and listen to all the music in its entirety that we've talked about and featured in the podcast episode, you can do so. So there's a playlist for every episode of the podcast up on our Spotify playlist. So please do go and check that out. Um, I should also say massive thank you as well. I've had a ridiculous amount of response to last week's episode equally for Rada Blank and who a lot of you have found a huge inspiration. Isn't she amazing? I actually stuck up one of our little YouTube shows with her, just her, last week. So if you want to go and watch her and see her enthusiasm as well as hearing it on last week's episode, then please do so. Just look up Soundtracking on YouTube. And also Ben Frost, uh, who talked in depth about his work on the Dark Score. What was lovely is there's quite a few people got in touch and said he doesn't normally do much. So it was so great to hear him talk about his process and how he works and how he put together that incredible score over those three seasons of Dark. So thank you very much for your lovely comments. And also just to remind you that the Dark Score is available on Invader Records. Should you be a big fan of Ben's and you want to go and maybe buy someone or yourself a Christmas present. Just pointing that out. Um, it's all about girl power on this week's episode of Soundtracking with not one, but two women at the very top of their game. First up is Sophia Coppola returning to the podcast to discuss her new film, On the Rocks, which she both wrote and directed, starring Rashida Jones and Bill Murray. It tells the story of Laura, a mum having doubts about her marriage, whose charming yet cynical father, Felix, played by Murray, suggests her husband may be having an affair. Now, it's streaming on Apple TV now and sees both leads on fine form. I really enjoyed this film. I loved seeing Bill Murray back under the kind of watchful and encouraging eye of Sophia. And him and Rashida Jones have just the most brilliant chemistry together, particularly in the scenes where they're having dinner or drinks. So I highly recommend you go and check out On The Rocks, as I said, on Apple TV now. Uh, then I'm joined by Alison Brie, best known for her roles in Mad Men, Community and Glow. All great shows. But Alison's now directed an episode of Marvel 616. Now, Marvel 616 is a series of eight documentaries about everyday folk who are in some way connected to the universe of the comics. Well, I'll let her explain further in a bit, but you can find out what it's all about for yourselves on Disney+. Plus. Before that, Sophia, who has, as usual, assembled a wonderful collection of songs for her movie. Among them, I Fall in Love Too Easily by Chet Baker. I fall in love too easily I fall in love too fast 
Thanks. How are you? Good. Nice to see you again. Yeah. Thank you so much for the other week for doing our our kind of crazy extended oh. film chat show. It, it was so no. brilliant. Oh no, it was it was fun talking to you about those movies. So nice to enthuse about film, you know, and so many different films as well. So it was great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you for doing this. It was so great. I was um listening back to the last time you came on the podcast, when you were releasing The Beguiled, episode 43 on our podcast, and we're now 220 in, which is great. But it's, uh, I was so excited to have you back because congratulations on On The Rocks. I, I love this film. I just felt, I felt so at home with it and it made me laugh. I, it was, that was one of the main things, actually, that I can't remember laughing along with a film so much for such a long time oh I'm so glad that was because of a lot of different things I mean Bill Murray hands down you know kind of he could just sit and look at a camera and not do anything and I would probably yeah. laugh but I just think that you've tapped into something that I feel like I haven't seen represented so honestly being a mum being a being a working mum and kind of trying to find your find your groove being in a funk all that stuff that this film kind of throws up and I think because, you know, you've written this as well and it just feels like such a, a brilliant discussion, I guess, for people to have with this film in terms of, you know, this character and where she is and what she's going through. But it's done with such light relief along the way as well. I'm so glad because I was trying to put in the things that I was thinking about when I was starting to think about this idea and have and my kids were younger and decided this weird transition into school life and all these people that or to the whole new universe and how weird it was and that moment of trying to find your footing and then combining it with being in the mood to try to make more of a sophisticated comedy because I was missing yeah. those kind of movies and, and have something fun. And I feel like it, I mean, in recent, our reality has been so heavy. And also I feel like a lot of the stuff on TV, there's like this real, a lot of things are, are gritty and and violent and pu pushing things. And I, I didn't want to do anything challenging. But so had to be something really sweet and sincere, but without being totally sappy, or that was the the kind of the scary challenge. <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm glad and I and of course I always love seeing Bill and dressing him up and and it feels like, especially right now, we all need a little Bill Murray. Oh yeah. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Murray cheers us all up. But um, was it easy to write? No, not at all. I mean, I always find writing the hardest part, but especially an original screenplay. And I look back and I, this is my third one. It takes me 10 years in between to have enough 
life accumulated to have something to write about. And, and I, and I always feel like it's, you know, reflecting a, a different stage of, of transition and, and um, where adapting is more like a, a fun puzzle to try to figure out, but it's not as scary and lonely. And cause you have to you know, just kind of be alone with yourself to come yeah. up with it and not, and not rely on another writer, but yeah, it was really hard. So I, I, I started thinking about it. I just looked at my notes like seven years ago and I was, I know I was working on other projects and I had other versions of it, which were terrible. And I was really stuck. And, um, and talking to my, my brother, who was always really helpful. He helped me a lot talking about it with him and Mitch Glazer, one of our producers who, um, is close with Bill. He was really, you know, encouraging that it could be a great role for Bill. And so at first I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't think I would work with Bill again because I was afraid of letting anyone down because we <laughs> that character is so beloved. And then, you know, Mitch encouraged me and I started when I started picturing him, that it has to be Bill. And I just have to um and it's fun to see him at a you know different moment. And that helped in the writing. I have that thing sometimes with when I go to a, a concert and I see one of my favorite bands and I kind of go, I don't know if I ever want to see them live again because that was perfect and how you know it's kind of like, want to remember them yeah. <laughs> and so hearing you say that about Bill that feels like a kind of similar thing but there's just something magical I think about how you write for him that comes off the screen he feels so it gives him a spark that we don't see with him I mean we see so you know Bill Murray has a spark whatever he does but I yeah. think in, in the way that you write him there's something that he relishes in that performance as well thank you I appreciate his tender side and and I do like dressing him up and making him kind of more debonair yeah he has that side but I think he has fun with it and that's always surprising when he goes into an emotional scene or he has to be the scene in Mexico when he's talking about a past love losing her I I was really touched and I and I said you were really talking about someone and he said yeah like you know but he just I just think he really puts his his heart he's such a deep person and he puts himself in it and um I feel lucky that he trusts me enough to to really put his full heart into it and Rashida he had so much regard for her too I think that really helped because he really trusted her and he admires her and, and so they had this this real you know teamwork they're so good together on screen even just when she the way that she physically reacts to some of the stuff that he says, you know, just the kind of the eyebrow raise or the very subtle things, but it's so like a game of table tennis almost. It's so great to watch. Oh, I'm so glad. She's so good at that. I think also she's so smart that she can convey a, a lot just with the look. And a lot on the script, a lot of it would would just say, you know, she gives him a look because like you, there's nothing you can say to someone who's one. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like she conveys so much yeah and just with an eyebrow (laughs) and she had to be the straight man you know next to to his more flamboyant side and kind of keep it grounded was the musical number in the script in in Mexico yeah I always like to put um I always like to put a scene with Bill singing because I love (laughs) as a kid I remember him from SNL being a lounge the lounge singer character so I just think of him as a crooner Thank you very much. Gosh, you're a wonderful audience. See, where are you from? 
Chicago. Chicago. How many people in Las Vegas tonight are from Chicago? Can we hear from you? God bless you. I really dig Chicago, one of my favorite towns. Really like it out there. See, I have some relatives in Chicago. I really should be looking them up. Well, if you're from Chicago, there's a very real chance you'll be singing this song tomorrow. Those raindrops keep falling on my head. Thank you. That doesn't mean my eyes will soon be turning red. Crying's not for me. Cause I'm never gonna stop the rain by complaining. Because I'm free, <laughs> nothing's worrying. <laughs> and I thought he's the kind of character who you know, walks in and sings. My dad sings a lot. Um, <laughs> yes. And, um, so that would be what I had. But he, he wouldn't like, he wouldn't go into a hotel and take over like that. But just with me, he breaks into song, which my friends always uh, are entertained by, not on the stage like that. But but um, so it was fun to to ask Bill. I thought he'd be yeah, that character would be the kind of guy that would have taken over the whole room before she gets there. And I imagine like in college, he you know sang at a piano bar or something. <laughs> but, just, but he has to make a you know a big entrance, as she says. And when we when we did that song, I asked Paul Schaefer to help produce the song. And I didn't hear it before we were filming. And so Bill kept it under wraps. And, and so the first time we heard it was with me and Rashida when we filmed it. And Bill was really singing it like for us for the first time. Whoa. And it was fun because he was proud to unleash his his song. And, and um, it was like a fun surprise. I almost feel like Bill, he almost, sometimes you think his, he, he, he exists within a musical almost in a way because his, sometimes his, his movements and his rhythm is so musical anyway that, he almost kind of sings speaks sometimes, you know, he's kind of got that kind of delivery sometimes that I kind of, I think there's just something wonderfully musical about him and his performance. He's a uh, dancer across... yeah. as a person. He's a dancer. Is he? Yeah. He likes to dance and he's, just, and you know, he loves, and you can tell he loves music, mm. but um, he's just so full of life. I think that that, that comes through that. Yeah. And I wanted that character that, to have that too, that, he doesn't just smell the flowers. He embraces them with his whole being. <laughs> like that's his, but Bill does have that, which reminds, I feel like he, when, when he sees someone being uptight, he always um, tries to get them to loosen up, which I want him to do with that character, but I've seen him do it in life. He probably does it with me too. <laughs> I loved watching him with the kids as well. I thought that was a beautiful, you know, oh. in terms of really captured that grandparent, grandchild relationship, because it's wonderful watching my mom and dad with my kids in that, it's a very yeah. different relationship because you know they they kind of just have the fun part almost. Yeah, they have like a mischievous connection because they can sneak around and do things. <laughs> they have a camaraderie that's really sweet. It's true. Yeah, that's sweet to see that with your family. And um, it was, yeah, it was so cute to see him with the yeah. kids. Was it fun to to capture New York as well? You know, in terms of how how you wanted to to portray the character of New York as part of the film in a way as well. You know, New York's been captured, obviously, you know, on film, you know, so many beautifully and brilliant times over the years sort of thing. So it's, but it felt like it, we were kind of really taken into a neighborhood and a kind of. Yeah, I was, I mean, I really, that was a challenge for me and talking to the cinematographer for like the sword, like how are we going to shoot New York and make it feel like our own way and not mm -hmm. just a, a version of something that we've seen because there's so many iconic New York movies and and to have the the romance of New York and and what we love about it and so yeah I'm happy that that when I saw it finished it felt like 
you know, our New York, um, and it definitely play, pays homage to classic New York movies that we know from the past, but also hopefully it feels like its own own version of it. And I wanted to show the contrast of Rashida's character's world mm. downtown and kind of the busyness and the the sound of construction and the hecticness. And then she gets whisked away in Felix's car and they're off to 21 to the Bemelmans and these, <laughs> these classic old places that he sort of comes from that era that that is sort of um, fading era with all that history and kind of gentleman atmosphere. And so, yeah, so we try, I tried to, yeah, kind of capture what it feels like to be here with some reality, but then also with some film romanticism. Yeah. You know, when he takes her into all these places to kind of almost wine and, and dine her and he's, it does feel like kind of almost watching a sort of fifties movie. It has got that kind of, like you say, romanticism about it. And just wanted to ask when you're preparing to shoot, your movies do you watch films that are as as reference points to help find a mood or do you completely stay away from any kind of inspiration in a way I listen I listen to music and I look at photos usually as a starting point and then I have I have films in mind but I don't always revisit them as much and more kind of like in the back of my mind I had like Blake Edwards 10 for when they go to Mexico but I didn't rewatch it because I kind of <laughs> like it just as like a kind of dreamy state in the back of my mind and and I was thinking about Tootsie with, when they go to the Russian tea room and those kind of places. I, I think I watched that just to see like the people walking around New York and, and that energy and, and, and those kind of movies that, that thinking about 80s New York when it was, it felt glamorous. And, but you should try not to look too directly at movies and more photos and music and stuff. Yeah. What about music with this film? Because when we talked, it was so lovely actually listening back to our previous conversation and and hearing you talk about in detail about you know things like uh, virgin suicides and the the mix of of the air score, but also those needle drops and and the purpose of those being you know very different and and what they provided. But was this an easy film to try and work out the the sonic side of it? Because there's not yeah. many needle drops in it. It was. Um, I mean, I started with think I was playing Chet Baker when I was writing it and kind of being in Felix's mode, and then. My husband, Toman, has been in Phoenix, helped me with her music that I wanted her to feel like she was in a separate world, but it, it had to contrast it, but not clash with Felix's world. And, and I didn't want to be too retro, but we are looking back at this kind of other music. And they suggested Michael Nyman, the score of her, like the intensity of her, her life to kind of set that pace, which I'm so relieved that he gave us permission because we edited to that and there was like, there's nothing else like it. <laughs> And um, the 
Fiend's guess has suggested that for that kind of hectic case, which I think it puts you in her state of mind, kind of the grind of that. Um, and I was also thinking about all that jazz. Sarah Flack, my editor, and I always think yes. about that. Like it's showtime in the morning and the routine and the, and we did it Marie Antoinette and we did it here. Like just like every day is that, that getting the kids out the door, like that hectic moment that we know. I love that film. Oh, it's so yeah, yeah, good. Great movie. That opening kind of sequence is just, it's its one of the best opening sequences yeah. to a film ever. It's so good. I love that movie. It's, it's, I know that it's, it's the best style and energy. Yeah. Yeah, another great New York movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. With with films, do you remember growing up in the, in the world that you grew up in, but, but as a film fan was there moments that you really remember the power of music within film resonating with you and kind of you having a fully grasping the the, the extent of how important it can be and how brilliant it can work yeah I mean I remember as a kid seeing like Sid and Nancy and then listening to the soundtrack Definitely means Scorsese, you know, the um, Goodfellas and, and the way he uses music to contrast what you're seeing. Mm. I mean, that, you know, makes made such a big impact on me and most filmmakers, you know. But um, yeah, I think there's definitely movies that, of course, Purple Rain. me with you and I'm instantly in my head on you know on the prince's motorcycle so yeah uh, yeah, I mean I just I've always I always loved music and going to bands growing up Mm. and and for me making my first short film was like oh I get to combine you know music and photography and all these things that I love and that's always a fun part in the edit when you get a song on and when Phoenix sent the song for the end credits 
the new song that they did identical yeah. we put it on and it was like yes like it, you get a new song and it fits perfectly for the feeling of that moment and so it's what we always try to edit with without it with it working without music because music always makes it better so we try not to to lean on that too yeah. much and add it as a frosting at the end. yeah think about the the composing world and how you know working with with your husband and phoenix on over a number of projects and that historical nature of of bands and musicians working on score and and soundtracks and i think of harold and maud as being one that i love with cat stevens and just how brilliant you know a musical artist captures the essence of a film and creates something that that just marries beautifully with it Yeah, that one, that's a great one. And The Graduate, I think, yeah. that was great. watched that recently with our kids over the 
confinement break. But um, but yeah, Harold Lamad, it's so much, the music plays such a big part. No, I, lo- I love that. And it's really um, an exciting part to have that that layer. Have you always worked like that where you haven't, you know, you haven't had music in the edit, so to speak? Is that something you learned? I learned that maybe talking to Richard Beggs, um, our sound, our great sound designer who I learned so much from and um, and just talking about how much the music helps the scene. And so if you can get it to work without that, then it just adds more. And I think people, maybe people, you know, less experienced kind of rely on to put music on because it always makes it work better. So mm. I don't know when, after making a few films, realizing that it's, um, it, it does help so to try to do it without and um, and have to really get the scene to to work on, on the other aspects of it. Yeah. When you introduce um, Felix to us on on screen in in this film there's a piece of music uh an instrumental piece of music i think it's the michael nyman is it the michael nyman one yeah Yeah. i think it's like the end of her kind of monotonous routine and then felix shows up and makes a grand entrance and i wanted him to make a big entrance and that with the window (laughs) lowering and revealing there he is um um, but it was meant to be tied into her kind of her rut and then he shows up like a breath of fresh air <laughs> because they the the way that these characters you know it's a father-daughter relationship but it's got this beautiful kind of I don't know it's, it's a real journey of their relationship as well as you know her relationship with her husband and also her role her relationship with herself really as well yeah. and I kind of love watching Rashida kind of really take us on that journey as well and it going back to what I said at the start is that I kind of feel like that hasn't been done so honestly really and even you know that comedic side of it as well where there's those scenes where she's at school and the mum's just talking in her <laughs> face um and it's just like I was, We've all I had was that falling off my chair laughing when and it's kind of like you're trying not to be rude and going yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I love her reaction and um and when we were filming those scenes I just would have Jenny like keep doing them because they were just so fun to watch I would give her like some line of things I'd really overheard (laughs) and she would just go off um but yeah it was was funny and it makes me glad that it's relatable (laughs) but um yeah but she does so good at just with the look like you know exactly how she feels and I feel like she's kind of gets reconnected with herself before that the story do you encourage improvisation on set is that something you like to work with I no, I always like that I I, I turn I, I never plan everything too much like I can't understand storyboarding a whole movie before because it's to me it's like having a party you get all the elements together and then you see what happens and you never know you know where the actor will end up sitting or you know so so that's the um kind of the fun of it the energy of figuring it figuring mm. it out together do you know what's next I, um, I'm starting to, there's a, uh, Edith Wharton book that I love, The Custom of the Country that I've always loved. And I'm starting to think about how, uh, adapting that. Oh, wicked. So, yeah. I'm excited because I've always loved it. And it's, an, it was written in five parts uh, in a um, serial form. So I thought it would lend itself to doing it in a segment. So, yeah. which you never fit it into a film. So now it's, it's fun that there's a medium that you can do it in, you know, TV. Will that be the first time you've Take yeah. a step into that that world then it's yeah. so different now because you know I, I guess like years gone by tv not that it had a stigma attached to it but it was kind of like you know yeah it wasn't film, film was this kind of big thing but I think you know when you look at the the incredible productions that we see in yeah. you know in, in dramatized form or in episodic form it's just 
gives characters an opportunity to, for you know, directors and storytellers to expand on characters and give them more time. And that's what I'm excited about. And I think it lends itself, especially to books that in film form get cut, cut down. Now you see that they're being expanded more. And so, yeah, I mean, in my head, I just think of it as a long movie. I don't really think of it as a different format, but it, it does have a, a, a different aspect, which I think what I enjoy about episodes is where you can't wait for the next one and what's going to happen so that part is kind of fun to think about that aspect and 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 also just I think in in these days to to go back to another era and kind of escape into a the gilded age and a beautiful world I think is welcome or for me it is yeah we all need escape right now for sure oh I watched I I re-watched um Lost in Translation the other night as well and oh man I went to um I went to Japan for work about my god it's 20 years ago now I did a travel show out there and it was just oh. I after watching the film as well I went and got all my pictures out and it was just oh. kind of oh it was just I miss yeah. traveling I miss kind yeah. of you know me too I feel like yeah we have to do it through movies right now but um yeah me too I know my kids were like when are we going back to Tokyo I, like, I don't know I hope not too far off but um oh, I'm glad that you could bring you back there yeah it was lovely and um, listen it's so great to chat to you Thank and you. thanks for taking the time it's, well, it's I, really brilliant congratulations you. on the film again and um we'll get to speak about the next one i hope thank you uh, yeah i look forward to it take care sophia thank bye. you so much bye thank you bye From the soundtrack to Lost in Translation, that's Ikebana by Kevin Shields, concluding this first part of soundtracking with Sofia Coppola. On the Rocks, as I said, is available through Apple TV and is by turns honest, moving and very, very funny, which is something we all need right now. Um, I'd also like to point out that Sofia Coppola was my latest guest on my BBC4 TV show, Life Cinematic, where she goes back and picks an incredible collection of films that have been an influence and inspiration to her over the years. There is a fantastic collection up there for you to maybe go and dive into if you like what you see. But please do go and have a look at the show if you missed it. It is up on the iPlayer, Life Cinematic with Sofia Coppola. And so to Alison Brie and her episode of the Disney Plus documentary series, Marvel 616. As I mentioned, Alison has had major roles in Community, Glow and Mad Men, among many 
many other things, which gives us the perfect excuse to play that iconic theme. I defy you not to picture the visuals. Listen, thank you so much for your time. It's really great to chat to you. I'm such a fan. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I want to obviously chat about this this fantastic... Um, I mean, it's quite hard to describe what it is. I've only seen your episode of this Marvel 616. Tell me a little bit about how you were approached to direct this and and what what it was kind of sold to you as, I guess. Sure. Uh, well, I'm so excited for you to see more of the episodes mm. because they are all so different. I've all, I've seen two other episodes other than my own, um, Gillian Jacobs' episode and Paul Shears. Um, <clears throat> but I guess the way I came into being a part of the series was I received a text message from my friend Brian McGinn, who uh, is a producer at Supper Club, our, our producers, and uh, and the text just said, did you do high school theater? And I texted him back, have you met me? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, and he was like, I want to call you and talk about a project. Uh, the episode of Glow that I directed in season three had just come out on Netflix. And again, uh, Brian's a friend of mine and I know Jason Sturman as well from Supper Club. And I, I'm sure since directing my Glow episode, I've been very vocal about wanting to direct more. I had such a great time doing that. And so then I got on the phone with Brian and Jason and and they were already sort of midway through in terms of making the series. I think they had done a few, a few episodes were like fully completed. Yeah. And they just told me, yeah, we're making this anthology series. It's an anthology documentary series for Marvel, for Disney Plus. And it's really about taking this idea of Marvel being the world outside your window and seeing how normal people interact with Marvel, what their relationships are to Marvel, discovering all these different facets of Marvel. Each episode is going to be completely different from the last. They're all directed by different people and with very different styles. And so they basically were like, if you have a connection to this idea, we would be very helpful and supportive in terms of helping you put a team together as they've produced, uh, you know, a ton of documentary stuff. And so then it became more about me facing my own anxieties and kind of, you know, even on that call, I was like, you guys know I've never done a documentary before, <laughs> right? But for my episode, you know, some people like Gillian Jacobs, she directed the first episode of the series. And as far as I know, they really came to her with like, kind of, what would you want to explore? And uh, so she had to go about assembling her episode in a very different way. So for me, it really came as a package, which was, we're going to do an episode about the Marvel Spotlight program. Mm -hmm. And 
and I'm like, what's the Marvel Spotlight program? And it's a series of one-act plays that were commissioned by Marvel. Marvel sought this out and started this program where they had these three one-acts written about characters in the known Marvel universe when they're in high school to be performed at high schools by high school students. And my knee-jerk reaction, honestly, was one of sort of like, I'm such a, you know, I have such a deep connection to my high school theater experience and my college theater experience. And even though people, I don't think people associate me with theater because I really haven't done a lot of professional theater since graduating college, but, you know, I used to be a bit of a theater snob. And so, you know, at first I was like, they're teaching high school students Marvel plays and not Shakespeare? What is this? (laughs) How do I feel about this? And then I did some research into the prize. Let me think about it. And let me do some, I was, of course it, it would interest me to do a series about high school theater students because that is very close to my heart. And I, you know, I couldn't relate more. And, and I was really excited actually to dive into the documentary world just in terms of where I'm at in my life as an artist, trying to take more risks. I loved directing the episode of Glow. It was so fulfilling. And I just thought, you're not going to know if you can do it until you try it. Yeah. So there are all these things that were compelling to me. I'm sorry. I know you asked me like a half a second question and then I talked for half an hour. This is a dream. This is it. Yeah, this is perfect. Please don't apologize at all. It's great. (laughs) But I feel like I just want to finish my thought about the Marvel Spotlight program. Once I started doing research on it and they you know marvel had even sort of pre-vetted schools and chosen the school so i really was kind of getting this package and then getting to run with it from there and getting to meet courtney kyle first over the phone and talk to her about why she wanted to do marvel plays with her students and reading the plays and first of all seeing how interesting and nuanced the plays were i mean squirrel Mm -hmm. girl goes to college has a Greek chorus, you know? So it's still employing all of these things that you might want high school students to learn about the machinations of theater and you know what I mean? Things like that. But I was most impressed by the reason that Courtney Kyle wanted to do these Marvel plays with her students was simply to get more students involved in the theater program. And it really worked. Of course, it makes sense that High school students who see, watch all the Marvel movies, it couldn't be a bigger part of pop culture and the zeitgeist and a part of their lives, whether they read the actual comics or not, were so excited to get to do these plays and play these characters. And then you have this reach where a student like Jamal, who we follow in the episode, you know, just would never have thought about doing theater in high school. And it's so valuable. I really think, and as you see in the episode, that there's just so much that that kids can get out of that process of doing high school theater beyond aspirations of being a professional actor. <laughs> so that's how I got involved. <laughs> I, I had no idea about the program either. And I was kind of like, wow, this is amazing. Because like you say, it, it encourages them to take that step in the door. But then once they get in the door, it's so emotional and beautiful to see what they all take away from it and the confidence oh. it gives them. And I've forgotten the name of the the girl when she kind of goes, you know, she, she's talking about the, the role that she's given. She's going, you know, she's curvy. She's got red hair. She's got freckles. And it's kind of the brilliant way that, that Marvel have written these characters within these plays is kind of as real. They've obviously done a lot of work in terms of making sure that they really represent, you know, the, the kind of teenagers of today 
in those situations today. Absolutely. That was, that was the next wonderful surprise to me was meeting these characters for the first time because I don't have this wide expanse of Marvel knowledge and I really wasn't familiar with Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, or Squirrel Girl, Doreen Green, both just such fun characters to begin with. Squirrel Girl, you're like, Squirrel Girl, it's just a girl. She's got squirrel powers. It's <laughs> so simple, <laughs> but kind of so brilliant. Yeah. The characters themselves are fantastic. And then getting to see the way that those characters resonated with the students was so incredibly special and moving and profound. And the lessons that they were learning through these characters are lessons that I continue to need to learn throughout my life. Lessons of positivity, body positivity, self-confidence, you know, not caring what other people think about you and empowering yourself. It's all there. Yeah. Did you find the, the whole process really helpful in terms of these brilliant steps that you're taking as an artist into directing? And the idea that you're taking a step in to a theatre group to direct a documentary about a theatre group doing a production. It was kind of almost like a, a, a kind of production within a production type thing. But did you, did you take much away from it in terms of adding to your skills as a director? Oh, definitely. Especially because this type of verite documentary filmmaking is so far from what I'm used to doing in terms of working in film and television, and then directing an episode of episodic television did not feel very far from acting in an episode. You know, I've acted in over a hundred episodes of shows over the course of my career. So like moving into the director's seat on a television set just felt seamless. You know, I mean, obviously that came with its own set of, of nerves and insecurities, but like but at least I knew the construct and the bones of what the thing was. And so I guess the safety net in that here was that it was high school theater. So I was going, okay, well, this I know. I can relate to it. I, I, ha- I, I was nervous, I guess, to see, it's been a minute since I was in high school. Uh, will the kids today, are, are the things that they're struggling with even similar to what I was struggling with? Mm. Or is it all going to be about social media and their phones? And like, certainly that. I think is a part of everything that kids today are going through. But one, now I'm like sidetracking, but I, but I found it interesting that the things that they were learning from the characters were so universal and that just kept getting reinforced over and over and over again. But yes. So, okay. So the construct of theater being, being in a safe, it was like being in a safe environment of high school theater helped me to take the risk to do this type of a thing where then I got there and week one, I mean, day one of shooting, I just was like, so there's no plan. I mean, we had a plan, but it was just kind of like, how can you plan? We got to just see what they're going to do. At least we had the framework of the plates that, yeah. that they are doing. So there's a definite process. We know we're going to film their auditions, their rehearsals, you know, opening night, the performance, mm. and somewhere along the way, find a story and just hope that the students really connect to the characters and hope that they're interesting. And then what we found was obviously that there was like so much story. We could have made multiple episodes <laughs> about the students at this high school. There's so much we cut out of the episode. So I guess I learned a lot about embracing that fear and taking those risks and really being in the moment. Yeah. Um, that, the first lesson was about that kind of just truly 
just be aware. Just like, it was like this such a heightened awareness on every level of what's that person doing over there? Should we get, what's the camera at? Also trust, trust yeah. in my crew. Had a great DP, Wolfgang Held, who would just be creeping all around with the camera and the students, <laughs> you know, while they're, and we're like, just ignore that, that super tall <laughs> German guy. Is he German? Probably not. That we gotta, um, but you know, it was like, he, it, 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 so there was that aspect of trusting him and also my producer, Claire DeGress, who was, after the first week that we came out there, she, the, most of the trips, she was the one conducting the interviews with the students, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as we went on and, you know, being able to lean on her was kind of great and have our communication. So that it was really collaborative in terms of where's the story going? Who are yeah. we interested in following? What's happening? And, and then there was like yet another lesson. Every step of it really had all of these lessons of like, during the edit process, that was a whole other thing and especially because we were doing it during COVID it was different than wow. the usual experience you would have like being able to go sit in an edit bay with your editor it was more like a, ga a long game of telephone <laughs> like <laughs> a very layered process but yeah. but it was nice to to realize that I had maintained I don't know some distance and perspective and objectivity uh even in getting to know the students but but kind of being able to take a step back and craft the story mostly in the edit you very much felt like you were there with them you've really taken us into their world so brilliantly i think with it it's so it really is thank you i mean well it's a testament to the students really for being they were so incredibly mature and open and honest and vulnerable like it, it's interesting i just don't know if i would have been that way when i was in high school i think if there was somebody with a camera i would have been da -da 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 -da. you know it's like <laughs> my instinct would really be to perform for them and these <laughs> young adults were just so chill and mm. they really let everyone in. And I think that speaks to Claire too, my producer. Everyone, they, the kids felt really comfortable with her and it was nice for her to conduct the interviews and for them to build those relationships and that trust with yeah. her. And then, and then I like a spy watching all the fun <laughs> and like at telling her some other questions to ask, you know? <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that is kind of, um, you know, part of the Marvel world is is these fantastic sort of soundscapes as well that they have, you know, these big themes that you have Alan Silvestri write or, you know, Ludwig Göransson for Black Panther and stuff like that. When it came to kind of music on the show yeah. and, and how you wanted to kind of construct that and how much of the kind of, you know, the, the big sound and themes of the, the Marvel world is synonymous with, was that an easy thing to kind of navigate for you in terms of how it would, you know, the music, if there would be music in it and where it would be and what you would use? It's an interesting question. It, the musical aspect was a really interesting part of the process because it's so far outside of my wheelhouse. And I love that you mentioned Ludwig Gorenson because I've known Ludwig for years oh. since our days on Community because he did a, yeah, yeah. a And he worked on Community. So it's like so surreal to watch Ludwig like is winning an Oscar and we're like, it's Ludwig. Like, <laughs> um, he's so talented, obviously, but um, so yeah, I think, and and even with this, there was a funny aspect of like not knowing whether or not that was my responsibility. You know, yeah. on Glow, in episodic television, 
it's not. Like I would put in temp music for my episode and then they would just redo it and put in their own music later. So, you know, this was really fun. Uh, uh, Stephanie Economo, mm-hmm. I just know I'm mispronouncing her last name because I've like only seen it in email form, even though we did sessions over, we did, you know, meet over Zoom. Uh, Stephanie did the score. Yeah. And she was incredibly collaborative and it was great. I got to listen to a lot of her music. You know, Supper Club had sent me a bunch of her stuff uh, as, a, as a recommendation. And I listened to it and I agree that I was like, oh, wow, she's really capable of capturing the scope and scale of Marvel and then also doing stuff that's really nuanced and emotional. And that's what we're dealing with with these kids because I think especially too in the way that Wolfgang shot it and when we talked about how he was going to shoot it and really getting behind the kids to see what they're seeing in the huge auditorium. You know, I can remember from my theater experience that even though you might just be in like a small, uh, you know, non-flashy high school auditorium, when you're on the stage, you feel larger than life. You yeah. feel like a Marvel superhero and then you're playing a Marvel superhero. The stakes feel very high. You know, the people in the audience are not strangers. They're yeah. your peers. And you, you know, there's the, the so the, so you, we wanted to, I think, capture both of those levels, right? These Marvel level stakes of what the kids are going through. And then also the nuances of their friendships and their emotional journeys. And it was, it became like a very, a fun back and forth conversation with Stephanie who was so collaborative and like had to, my emails, I feel like we're all like, please forgive my lack of musical knowledge, but the plunkiness here, I'm not loving, but that I like how it's like flutter, flutter. <laughs> you know, at least the good news is, I feel like Stephanie always appreciated how meticulous I am where I'd be like, in the temp track you sent me, you sent me at one minute, 22 there's uh this happens and that i really like because but you know i felt like i was communicating with her more uh, uh on an emotional level yeah then obviously i'm not like i hear the oboe and can we bring that out you know <laughs> yeah. i just don't have that skill so i'd have to be more like i love this section of the yeah. music makes me feel this way and for this next part i'd like to feel like this <laughs> yeah i <laughs> know no. You're not the only one, don't worry. We've sp- spoken to so many directors. I think uh, even, even Ron Howard would admit to kind of going, um, can we have a bit more like the, the, just turn that bit up kind of thing. So yeah. Well, right. it's, yeah. Why, it's, it's, it's emotional. It's, like you say, it's, you've got to feel it. It's about how it makes you feel. Totally. It's also why this is, it's, it's great that this is a really truly collaborative medium. Like I can't imagine trying to be like, no, I'm going to do everything. Why? <laughs> That's so daunting. There's other people that know way more about it than me. Let me <laughs> you pick their brains and let them do what they do yeah. um, and shine. And I think with Stephanie too, it was good to highlight with this score. And I just, I love the score. I think that the story is there and you're Mm. already along for the journey with these kids emotionally. And so it was always also more about just highlighting it and letting it exist. It was not like, I didn't feel like we ever had to manipulate people's emotions with the score. It was sort of like, let's highlight what they're going through. Yeah. Um, Listen, before we run out of time, a couple of things I just wanted to quickly talk to you about. You mentioned community, which I went down a rabbit hole last night, just reminding myself of how great that show was 
And there's some really lovely bits actually online of kind of like bloopers, which is such a lovely thing as a fan to watch because you feel like you're on set. Yeah. And it just looked like you all had the most fun. The atmosphere on set between you all just felt like so genuine and natural and, and real friendships. We had the most fun. <laughs> I've actually um, spent all morning doing press for this show with Gillian Jacobs, which is so funny because it's totally coincidental that we both have, have kind of moved into directing and that we both ended up directing on this series. Like there's really no community connection. And yet, I mean, even for me coming into the series, knowing that Gillian had directed an episode, I was like, oh, great. <laughs> like, oh, good. My friend did one. Yeah, that sounds cool. I could, maybe I could do it. I'm going to text her to see if she liked it. Um, we really are so close. Our community cast, uh, we text every day on our community text chain. Wow. And that's just, that's such a sweet takeaway. It's, it's very true. I, I think that that's like the most honest thing when you see our bloopers because we were all like, we worked very long hours and we were maybe losing our minds a little bit sometimes, but yeah. a little crazy, but like, like with family, got to yeah. play with each other the way that we played when we were kids, you know? Yeah. And Glow, I know that Mark's got his petition on the go for, for someone to, I've signed it. I'm, I want, I want great, more. Great. Yeah, Me too. totally. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, but that, that show, and you know, and you, obviously the warrior is that track that you kind of think, yeah, here we go. We're in that world straight away. some point we're able to you know see Ruth and the gang return in some way shape or form thank yeah. you I would really hope so saying that I would love that I mean we did three great seasons of a show that that it certainly had a profound impact on me and my life and it's very touching to know that that other people were moved by the show and and connected with the characters so it's been really touching yeah to see the way that fans have reacted to the news that we're not not going to get to do our fourth and final season, but I'm so proud of, of the work we already made. So thank you for saying that. Alison, it's so great to chat to you. And I really kind of, I'm excited to see where you kind of go next in the, in the world of, of directing as well as, you know, writing as well, which I know is, is um, something, you know, that you do, you've written a rom-com in lockdown, which I'm looking forward to seeing. <laughs> Maybe you can direct that as well, hopefully. 
Well, my husband is directing it. It's already been agreed. Come on. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what we'll let him. We'll let him. And um, listen, congratulations on 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 your your episode for for this wonderful series, which I think is just our. Uh, it feels like the right thing for people to be um, watching right now as well. You know, we all need some some really fantastic celebration of of great people, and so I think that's what the show does. So. Thank you so much. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think that really what we need right now is human connection. Absolutely. And, you know, making this episode, I think the thing I really realized was how Marvel is actually this beautiful connective tissue between so many people in the world who love it, you know? And if I, I just would love if people could take that away from this series. It's kind of like, oh, wow, there are all different kinds of people all over the world and we all love the same thing. It's almost like I think there's one of the, the kids in the show says, you know, I, I never really fit in. I'm not kind of, I'm, I'm different to everyone else. And I think that that's what, I think that that's what Marvel does. It celebrates the misfits and it gives the mis- misfits a voice. And this Absolutely. kind of takes that step further. So yeah, thank you so much for your time, Alison. Definitely, thank you. Eve. Take care, you stay safe. Me. Thank you. Bye guys. <laughs> one of the many anthemic pop classics to feature in glow that's the look what a tune by Roxette rounding off the second part of soundtracking with Alison Brie and that should be all the encouragement you need to go and check out our soundtracking playlist for this episode up on Spotify because you can hear that in its entirety and my huge thanks to Alison and Sophia for joining me. A reminder that Marvel 616 is available via Disney Plus and On The Rocks is streaming on Apple TV. Head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes, including my first chat with Sophia and two conversations with Ludwig Gornson. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. Make sure you find our YouTube channel as well for a regular show I put together to accompany this pod. In fact... I'll stick up a little excerpt with Alison and Sophia for you guys to check out. So please do go and seek that out. Thank you in advance for listening next week. um, We've got another double whammy just because we are inundated with fabulous guests. So I want to share them with you. Uh, First up, we have Alan Ball, who is a writer director. He's written things like American Beauty and his latest project is the beautiful film Uncle Frank that he's written and directed and it stars Paul Bettany. It is a fantastic and beautiful little film. Uh, Alan Ball will also be joined by a gentleman who has just directed his first feature film but he's also written it 
produced it, as I said, directed it, starred in it, and he's composed the score. The one and only Vigo Mortensen. Vigo Mortensen, Alan Ball, next week's guest on Soundtracking. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. In the meantime, please stay safe. <laughs>